0: But now we don't
1: have any value. Hey, it's your death sentence for this week. Uh, we have kind of one of those books that we are kind of both obligated and um, also overjoyed to cover. Kind of, Kind of like a book that kind of is perfectly in our wheelhouse. But it's also really good. So it's called uh, Black Metal Tonight It's the World We Bury, Black Metal Red Politics. And you got like like the Venn diagram of this show. You got Black Metal. Other metals are available. You've got um, leftist politics. You got some Deleuze in there. And um, yeah it's it's just a generally excellent book by a fellow named bill peel who's been very kind to join us all the way from australia where i can only assume he's um fending off huge spiders and um hooning <laughs> i assume you're hooning every day as, as we speak yeah just
0: yes hooning around right actually now. as I, I hate to interrupt but as you tell me that my partner was literally telling me last night there was a uh uh, a person hooning their car out the front like of our residential street and sort of driving around town. So you've picked a good night. Yeah.
1: Well I I, I I've only just discovered what hoon it is. So I'm kind of any Australian <laughs> I meet, I mentioned that just so just so they know I'm kind of odd level. I understand them. I don't want to be like, hey uh let's throw a shrimp on the Barbie that kind of um um what do you call British, you know, British person who barely understands Australia if we like crocodile dundee and men at work and stuff I'll, I'll yeah, be like, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm glad uh, i'm glad the hooning has made
1: the has made the trip yeah I, 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 it turns out like british people have been hooded forever we just never called it that and what it, is it, it called in england it doesn't really have a name that's the weird thing like <laughs> okay just driving like, like just, a wanker, I guess. Yeah, it's just kind of a, yeah. It's just an accepted part of driving is just to drive in the most aggressive and ma- masculine way possible. Is it's just <laughs> a form of driving. You don't really give it a name, but I'm I'm, I'm glad that Australia has it's progressive enough that they understand that this is a problem and they need to give it a name because um, yeah, we've yeah. just kind of given in like we do to everything. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> So, um, black metal, red politics. Um, I'm yes. going to guess that everyone listening to the show right now under- has a, at least some understanding of both of those. So I think we can skip the, what is black metal uh, part? But how, how, like, what was the first time you heard and understood black metal as like a distinct thing from just metal in general?
0: Um, it took me a pretty long time. Like I got, I got into metal initially through my dad, who's a very like old school metal head from the eighties, like Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of that older heavy metal kind of stuff. And I, like when I was a teenager, I would often lurk on like metal archives and The kind of uh, the metal sub forum of the old GameSpot forums um, (laughs) from the gaming website. When yeah, when you used to have like forums that weren't just an amalgamation of like three websites more or less, Um, and there was this term there like dad metal Um, Mm -hmm. on GameSpot particularly. The term was dad metal, which is like which is basically what I listen to, right? Like old school heavy metal, um, power metal, like the kind of lighter side of thrash. Like, less, like, Sodom and Creator and more, like, Anthrax and Metallica and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And over time, I just kind of, like, I felt like black metal was something that I should, like, I mean, demographically, like, a white male teenager during that time period, um, I kind of felt like I should, like, I, I should be at least exploring black metal. And because of my presence on these forums, I was kind of trying to get into it semi-actively um so really i've been into it since i was like 15 16 like that kind of ballpark um and i got into it through like emperor and like the more symphonic black metal side um Mm -hmm. because i feel like it resonated very well like my kind of retrospective interpretation of this is that i enjoyed the kind of more dramatic and theatrical elements of like power metal and so i kind of like i i used that as like a springboard to get into the more dramatic and theatrical side of black metal like emperor dimmu borgir um alizanth that sort of thing hmm. um yeah so i really yeah. i've understood black metal roughly since i was like yeah 15 16
1: or so yeah i i had kind of the same the same journey almost um I guess i was i was more into new metal when i was a kid like i guess mm. i might be older than you and i i had a like um as i was around for you know like um was um um limp biscuits significant other was like a massive event for me and my friends when they came out um and um yeah just <coughs> um like reading Kerrang magazine which is like britain's big metal magazine and yeah yeah it would it would be mainly on, like, you know, Slipknot and Mudvayne, but it would also, you know, it would, it would drop in stuff like references to uh, Varg, Vickness, and uh, so on. And you'd just kind of, like, ambiently pick up that stuff. And eventually, I'm, I'm, I think um, probably the first metal band I listened to was Cradle of Filth, who are very yep. much in that um, theatrical vein, like, to a fault fault being that they're not very good i don't like them
0: Um. (laughs) yeah i think um i think cradle of filth were actually one of the first black metal bands that i listened to as well even before i really got into the genre like when i was like 12 13 14 um like one of my friends in particular would very much listen to like it was either cradle of filth or like old school like uh post-punk or gothic rock kind of stuff stuff that like I didn't really appreciate at the time but like he was really my first like the first time I listened to stuff like the Smiths and Joy Division and the Cure and Susie and the Banshees and all this stuff um mm-hmm. I never really liked I never really got into Cradle of Filth that much but I think I did. De- yeah I definitely heard them a long time before I'd really explored black metal like actively
1: yeah they were, they were a, kind of a meme because of their yes the in, infamous t-shirts um they they were on a lot of documentaries on like the BBC they had um i remember when i was a kid there was this kind of um one of those documentary series where they get two people who with polar opposite views and put them together and they had danny filth and a um like evangelical christian woman and um sounds about right yeah and they um yeah that, uh, danny filth was a, a very Nice guy, uh, much nicer on this TV show than he's supposed to be in other aspects of his life. But um yeah, he was he was very kind and nice to her, and uh, they even got her to come to one of her sh- one of their shows. And you you you, <laughs> you only heard like little snippets of their music and just yeah. little little bursts of it. Was like, oh wow, this is this is different from like um, puddle of mud. Wow. Um, mm. So I kind, of, I, I kind of knew of it then, and it took me like took me many years to <clears throat> shake off the idea that it wasn't just a bunch of nazis in norway in the early 90s and that it, there was actually new stuff coming around and there was kind of like that like renaissance in uh, like a third wave of black metal that came around in the kind of early 2000s of bands like what bands uh, they're in your book a lot people like wolves in the throne room um leviathan was big back then but we don't like leviathan anymore um yes and we, very good reason um though i i loved leviathan at the time um yeah me too kralis were coming up as well um a lot of, like that cascadian eco black metal kind of sound was coming in and that's when i kind of reassessed it and was like oh wait there's there's actually something really interesting here. It's because uh, I'd kind of moved on from new metal to like just indie rock. Um, you know, I was listening to a lot of Neutral Milk Hotel, who are fuzzy and grimy. in a lot of black metal bands, but um, and yeah, then I was like, oh wait, this has actually got to something that's really, really there, and it's uh, and I was kind of like a massive sea change in what I listened to, and um, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I I, I
0: I, wasn't really, like, present and, like, actively paying attention to those, like, Cascadian, or to what we now call Cascadian black metal bands um, at the time, but, like, they are really, they're probably the first big, uh, like, black metal subgenre I really got into, and I've stayed into it. Like, I don't really hmm. listen to much symphonic black metal these days. Um, but Cascadian Black Metal, like, it's still a big part of, like, my thinking and what I listen to on a day-to-day basis, like, was in the Throne Room. Like, we spoke
1: about our ultimate <coughs> Plagues brief before we started. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, and that sound has kind of become, I mean, it's, it's obviously led into Black Gaze, which has, like, become a kind of preeminent genre in Black Metal now, and it's and it still, it still like works. Like you can put on like uh, two hunters of diadem with twelve stars, and it, it it's like, it's like, uh, it's like one of those like a wine you could just open and drink. You know, it's like, um, it's like so you can, you can. It's not even like because it's it's generic or bad or just mid. It's just like you can put it on and it just is always like consistently good. Like, yeah. Um, yeah but so, so <clears throat> the red politics side of things so yeah. i'm guessing everyone who's heard of black metal has heard of the whole second wave thing the whole that whole biz- nasty business in norway uh, people may have seen the film lords of chaos which i have many things to say about um very few of them good Um, except the performances it was very well performed Um, people from outside of the metal world are probably going to, if they've heard of black metal at all, they will have heard of church burnings and murders and Nazis and it's not that that isn't true but (laughs) (laughs) as your book uh, takes pains to point out it isn't the whole story so i mean i guess the if there's a thesis to your book it's that black metal can well either can or should have this liberatory and even leftist bent to it is that is that like a a good thesis statement there yeah pretty much um my
0: like the the brief way that i usually describe it to people is saying that like okay like Black metal has been used by fascists and Nazis and people involved in NSBM, right? National Socialist, black metal, all this stuff. Um, and rather than focusing on that side, I do mention it because you can't avoid mentioning it. Um, but instead of focusing on the far right angle of it too much, I sort of try to draw out ways that black metal can be used or understood um as a tool that helps kind of socialist thought or communist thought or however you like to describe it hmm.
1: and has that kind of liberatory potential always been there like like in the kind of first wave of bands like venom volcano von the big three v's um <laughs> has as was um, that always there or is it something that we kind of need to go further to like the American third wave renaissance I was talking about?
0: Well, I try I try not to focus too much on the like the personal politics of musicians. Um, because half the time, I mean, with like examples like Venom and Vaughn, like you don't really know what their personal politics
1: are. Um Yeah, Venom's word let's and- drink and fuck girls. Vaughn's word, let's do all the heroin
0: yeah exactly um but instead like i try to use conventions in black metal music or like how black metal musicians tend to think about things um and try to make connections between those and like socialism so in the first kind of big chapter on the book on distortion i draw on venom pretty specifically um and i write about how Venom's kind of original like ethos of black metal was to distort like as a kind of divergence from an original principle of what you know heavy metal or thrash metal like should be they just thought no fuck it like throw it in the bin whatever we will take this as far as we can go and be as like uncommercial as we can with the resources that we and the frankly lack of musical skill that they had um and try to like try to remain uncommodifiable or decommodified i suppose obviously like that's different now like venom are like a worldwide known band there are arguments about you know the rights to their name all the standard musician crap um but my argument is that black metal has kind of continued to do this so like at least what i consider to be like the good um the more positive trends of black metal have continued to do this this kind of constant distortion or divergence from original principles let's
1: say and and again this is going to be something the people who listen to this show probably already know but why why is that a leftist or socialist principle i mean that sounds like uh revisionism (laughs) like, <laughs>
0: um, which part sounds revisionist sorry um, i understand the, this is the, a question.
1: the um the the idea of um moving things forward distorting things changing pushing things as far as they can go uh why would that be a, a leftist principle i mean you could um argue that's a, a capitalist principle as well i mean someone like nick land or someone could very well argue that capitalism does that you know all all the solid melts into air and so on that's true that's true um but i think
0: if you want to draw on like a vulgar accelerationist like nick land like his position would be like that commodification is good i suppose or that like or that the or that the melting into air is like a positive thing that we should embrace um whereas something like black metal it tries to run away from that very specifically, or like very explicitly. Um, and instead, it like, yeah, it it's uh, how do I put it? i think I think you could call it a socialist principle because it it tries to remain anti-capitalist or non-commodifiable. Obviously, that's a very limited kind of domain to draw on, but we're talking about art at the end of the day. Like, and this isn't necessarily, like, a chapter that's very, how do I put it, practical rather than theoretical. Like, I like to have cha- uh, other chapters are more practical than theoretical. Um, but The Distortion chapter is kind of trying to bring out, like, black metal introduces friction into, into... Come on into the process of commodification and music listening that someone like Nick Land would hate, right? He's got kind of like a vulgar Deleuzean. He's obsessed with like smooth spaces and all this crap. Um, whereas I think black metal is, it, it, it makes a point of being more resistant in that or trying to flee more than a, than a person like Nick Land would be comfortable with. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it made me think of uh, Vaporwave which is something you clearly don't uh, have in your book. How the And the kind of weird, um, the <clears throat> irony that when you make music like Vaporwave and you have a the front cover is a picture of an 80s mall and it's designed to be the most smooth, consumable music possible, it ends <laughs> up sounding yeah. just so, uh, it, even more alienating than, than the most uh, horribly, Recorded black metal, even like it just becomes this uh, nightmarish thing at its worst. Um, That's true. That's true. It's like, a,
0: it's almost, yeah, it kind of demystifies that like extremely alienating like supermarket pop music that you know you're kind of forced to listen through going into like public spaces in your everyday life.
1: Hmm. So um <clears throat> so we have so the book is broken down into chapters that are on various like I guess like a noun. There's distortion yeah. <laughs> and so on. So after distortion, what's what's the next big principle that we can think f- through black metal with?
0: Um the next one is decay. And I like people have kind of asked me like why I chose to make that decision of like laying out the chapters in the way that I did Um, but basically like it it was a point from the beginning of trying to focus on what what makes black metal stand apart from other genres of extreme metal that I don't really, not that I don't have an interest in them but like I don't really listen to in an intensive way
1: that I do listen to black metal and so distortion decay what whatever like ones are there how, how does how is black metal defined then what is like it's taxonomy i guess well, okay so
0: i mean i i do stress that like this isn't yes right um oh yeah but we've, i we've... yeah so the book has five main chapters um and i can lay out the first one is distortion the next one is decay the next one's secrecy um chapter four is on coldness and chapter and the last chapter is on heresy right and i think like it's pretty inarguable that those are pretty central to black metal's worldview or like how black metal operates um i obviously there are more like and you know there are chapters that i started and then just dropped like in the process of writing the book because i thought okay like these aren't productive these aren't going to do anything for me like they don't make that connection to the uh like socialist communist thought that i was trying to accomplish Hmm. um but i kind of i use these because i think they they're they're able to you can use them to make distinctions between black metal and death metal for example because they're often compared even though they don't really sound that similar if you really start paying attention to them
1: hmm Yeah, coldness wouldn't be a a feature of death metal. It's like a um, decay, isn't it? Death metal is often even quite lo-fi. Can be, it's it needs a certain um, clarity so you can see, you can feel and hear the um, the technicality and the brutality of the um, of the lyrics and guitar work and so on. It needs, yeah, yeah
0: like death metal death. sorry to interrupt um like death metal is often quite technically complicated like even even the quite like primitive early roots of death metal when it was basically just like a more fucked up version of thrash metal um like death and possessed and that kind of thing like the guitarists in those bands are genuinely quite good um and in some ways like some some of the production in death metal is kind of designed to not show off the the kind of flair of the musicians but at least to like acknowledge that the musicians are quite talented at playing their instruments um Hmm. but when you compare that to like black metal where black metal was started by like a bunch of 16 year olds who didn't really know how to play their instruments properly properly um you know the the production is kind of like the production does develop organically, but in some part, like I have to suspect that the reason why it's produced like that is because they were trying to like wash the the lack of technicality under waves and waves and waves of like distortion and low fi production.
1: Mm, yeah. So what are some of the bands who kind of typify this? Cause if you were to go to like, I don't know let's use the obvious example, Death Heaven. They don't. They don't have a lot of the these qualities. I mean, they're very nicely produced. It's obviously not cold. It's like an album's called Sunbather. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's not that distorted. It's, it's definitely not secretive. There are, you know, they did a uh, uh, shoot for Ray Ban. You know, that's so, true. Sure, I remember what? that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was pissed off about that. I, I would do that in a second if they asked. But uh, yeah plus Def Element are lovely lovely people they're like the nicest guys i've ever met um but um yeah, no doubt there are um, yeah so who are the who are the people who most fit the bill like the prototypical the like just bang on this is definitely black metal in the purest form um i do
0: i do draw on the old 90s bands quite a bit um Obviously, I do talk about the like a lot of the more recent trends as well in the 2010s and even the 2020s. Um, but I think like I wouldn't blame anybody for looking at the conventions in the chap in the chapter titles that I lay out and saying, Oh, this is 90s black metal. Um, but I do try to make a point of introducing more recent bands. So for the chapter on uh Decay, for example. I do. I do obviously draw on those older bands like Darkthrone, Mayhem, Burzum, yada yada. But I do bring up those the bands associated with Cascadian black metal that we talk about, like that we talked about earlier, like Wolves in the Throne Room, Skagos, Fauna, um, and try to point out that like okay, like black metal's understanding of decay might have shifted in the last twenty years. Like thank God. but you know, there is a kernel of it still there. And hmm. on the Death Heaven example, like I, I I I never want to suggest that like all black metal bands necessarily have these traits. These are just like these are conventions or tendencies that you would argue are pretty like inextricably, inextricably connected to black metal, um, even if some bands don't have all of them or even one.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and nice less in that chapter you brought up. One of my personal favourites, uh, Velvet Cocoon. I love those guys because they're insane. Yes. They're just yes complete nutcases who drink cough syrup all day till they talk to aliens and then sing songs about that. Just brilliant. Um, I'm so, I'm so sad that they kind of kind of petered out. I, I guess you can't maintain that kind of lifestyle forever because um, all the local. Pharmacies will stop giving you cough syrup, uh, but um, yeah, and and plus they pissed off everyone, and um, yes, yeah they were they were one of the few bands so I, I thought like they they both um, they fit all the uh, criteria that you laid out, but also have the have just a really unique everything about them musically and just in the whole mythology that they kind of spun around themselves um
0: yeah like i i draw on them pretty heavily in the secrecy chapter and i refer to like the kind of insane web of lies that they had kind of concocted about themselves like um one of them was that they'd built a guitar that ran on gasoline or like pressurized gasoline um, another was that they were like died in the war eco terrorists. And as far as I understand, that one wasn't true. Well, that's a shift in Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like in a way that is kind of following the spirit of like the early 90s bands. <laughs> like, just mm-hmm. like making up insane lies about yourself and like talking, like lying about your backstory and kind of like mystifying yourself on purpose.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that was cool until, until Ghostbath did it. I, yes. I, I was like, <laughs> I just didn't get what they were going for there. Okay, We're from China. Mm. Okay. You're, you're the band from China. That's fine. You can be from China. There are lots of bands from China. A fifth of the world isn't there. It's not mystifying anything. you It's just we thought you were from China and not Wisconsin for a while. Yeah.
0: And especially when they get asked questions about being a Chinese black metal band in interviews. And like, it's, it, this is, I think it's four or five white guys from America. Like I don't, yeah, it's, you can't, you can't maintain that for long. They very clearly didn't expect that the bit would last for that long. And they sort of just had to stick with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And plus musically, I I do not rate them. they, they sound like what people imagine Death Heaven sounds like. But, That's um, fair. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But Velvet Cocoon, on the other hand, brilliant. They they are allowed to tell whatever nonsense lies they want and steal anyone's music. Uh, they can steal <laughs> from the Beatles. I don't care. Um. So, <clears throat> you picked out a couple of songs to kind of I guess uh show where black metal has been and where it can go. So why don't we introduce the first song that you picked out? Sure. So uh,
0: the first track is Transylvanian Hunger, um, by Darkthrone, obviously. If you've heard of Black Metal or have like a vague familiarity with it, you will probably have heard it several, several times. Um mm-hmm. It's usually the first thing that people think of when they think of black metal. It's like we talked about earlier with um, the kind of black metal musicians often pretty like remedial talents on their instruments. Um, I think it's interesting that Transylvanian Hunger is probably the most famous black metal song, but it's also the first one that people play on guitar. Like it's as if it, it would be like if Smoke on the Water was the most famous rock song of all time it's probably up there but it's not it right transylvania hunger is like extremely easy to play um and i consider that a good thing personally it certainly helped me get into learning guitar as a teenager um it was also transylvania hunger was also released right after the kind of stories that made black metal famous uh happened like these kinds of the the, its reputation at this point was pretty well solidified like i believe uh vag had already been imprisoned by the time that the album came out um euronymous and dead were both dead um the churches had already been burned down there were a few other murders i believe the drummer for emperor had committed like uh he committed murder against like a gay man and oh i'm forgetting one the german band, band absurd had killed had already killed somebody i think by this point um so this is kind of and it was almost like the swan song for sorry i am waffling slightly no no but, this, <laughs> but this is also really like darkthrone kind of putting black metal to rest like it was uh the album transylvanian hunger was the last album they made that's usually considered their black metal trilogy, like, um, what is it? Under a Funeral Moon, Blaze in the Northern Sky, and Transylvanian Hunger are like their three unholy black metal albums. Um, but I think Transylvanian Hunger has sort of got this status as like a holy song amid the black metal hmm. milieu of the 1990s.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, um, um smells like teen spirit for grunge or welcome to the jungle for um like not hair metal like kind of like heavy metal it's kind of or straight out of compton to gangster rap it's just like absolutely it's just like the song and um and that's not a bad thing um because it is like it's like generally a very like thrilling exciting song that's you can play it once, and people get black metal. They won't get that it can be a million different things, but they'll get its its core. So let's uh, let's play it. Let's all um, cut ourselves and not have fun to uh, Transylvanian <laughs> hunger. <laughs> All the huffing bags of dead crows that I'm doing to prepare for that. That's her. <clears throat> so that was Dark Throne, with Transylvanian Hunger, um, like the prototypical black metal song. So one one of the things you uh, do at the start of the of the book is uh, put down like I think like six or seven different albums that are kind of like. If you haven't heard black metal before, sit down with these and you'll you'll get it. and so what were a few of those because um you made some you made some really good choices in there I thought <laughs> thanks oh. um i I really put those
0: there just as like a very basic a very basic introduction to the genre like just in case I didn't want it to be I didn't want the book to be too alienating perhaps for socialists or anarchists, communists, whatever, who didn't have that much familiarity with the genre. Um so I think I think my favorite album, I'm not gonna list all of them because there's there's ten of them and that's a bit boring. But I think my favorite album of the bunch there is probably Dead as Dreams by Weekling. Um
1: mm. yeah I wanted I to bring that up
0: Yeah they're probably the progenitor of like a lot of of, of kind of the move towards not only like American black metal, but also American black metal and the combination with like indie rock and shoegaze elements, I suppose. And I think, I can't mm. remember his name, but the guitarist is actually still running
1: in an indie rock
0: or math rock band
1: in yeah, California. I, I, I'm going to look this up on Wikipedia because it always um, surprised me that he was. has uh, now changed to like the drummer of a... Um... Uh, the Fucking Champs was one of the um, yes. bands that's come out of it. And Casey Ward, the keyboard, is currently plays in The Husbands, which is like a garage punk band. And they've played in... A, the people from We can kind have of played in various like Doom Metal and Funeral Doom bands, but they've also... Um, yeah, they've, they've gone into like a bunch of... Um, There's like kind of cute little garage rock bands as well. There was a, Yeah. Yeah, there was like a, a really um a really strange moment for for black metal. Cuz coming out of like um at a time when it was like 6 7 years after the, the whole um second wave church burning mess that the the idea of the genre had kind Of petered out, there were still bands making music. It was people like Dimmu Borgia, Cradle of Filth, people like that who were, um, you know, they, they were it was recognizably black metal, but it, it wasn't anything to write home about. And yeah, this album just came out of nowhere and is now huge. And it's like a it's kind of required listening at this point. Um, yeah, and it's basically
0: impossible to get, um it's been out of print like since the early 2000s and it's not on spotify and i when you want to listen to it you really have to listen to it either on pirated mp3s which i would not
1: endorse legally um i would or 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 listen to it on youtube yeah Yeah, yeah youtube is um like kind of the number one source for obscure black metal at the moment there's um as yeah. you mentioned in the book there is some there's some really weird stuff and tiny little like hundred cassette pressings that you'll only ever find on youtube
0: <coughs> yeah it's usually my primary source like if i just want to put something on like my um if you understood my music listening through my spotify it would almost all be like non-metal stuff because i usually listen to metal on youtube for my sins when I don't buy it on Bandcamp, obviously.
1: Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's been a really great resource. Like, I found a ton of really stuff I'd never find anywhere else, even on Bandcamp. And um, so, what was so special about Deadest Dreams? Like, what made that a, a must include, and why should people listen to it today?
0: Um, I, I think it's one of the few like black metal or american black metal albums that actually has really sick riffs (laughs) 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 like i um well obviously i love that old school tremolo picked guitar and like the blast beats and that kind of thing but there are some there are some genuine riffs on this album that are like terrific and like musically it's it's stunning um and it makes me reminiscent for the days that i had like a proper attention span because all of I think I believe all of the songs are more than ten minutes long. I think the yeah, longest it's... is twenty. I think the long
1: I think the title track is twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. It is twenty minutes thirty nine seconds. Uh, the yeah, shortest track is ten minutes twenty eight. Yeah, not um, me knowing. I looking at Wikipedia at this second. But, um... <laughs> but even
0: even so, like none of them feel like a slog in the same way that a lot of. That a lot of the like not as good Cascadian black metal
1: bands do often do. Mm. Um, yeah, there is like some some bands out there who will just play the same tremolo picking thing for like five minutes, then do a little um folky interlude, then go ah, then five minutes more of tremolo picking, and it's yeah, yeah it can can be a slog.
0: And those are the short ones, you know. There's like there's. 30 minute songs out there um Hmm. but i i think part of why the album is so special is one is because you it's basically impossible to get or and as well it's because it's the only thing that the band ever released as far as i'm aware Mm, uh if i remember correctly they played like a handful of gigs um released like an incredible album and then disbanded and then did something completely different with themselves
1: yeah it's um yeah it does have that like uh aura of being like this um legendary epic item that's you you can't you can never find it's on discogs for like thousands of dollars yeah Um, Yeah. it's like a dvd of begotten or something like you just can't (laughs) get it even if you want to hmm yeah and At this point if they like re-released it or did some sort of like vinyl pressing with some um like special uh, edition stuff it would just it just wouldn't feel like it should exist you know It, it would feel like they've kind of not sold out exactly but um missed the point of what a special record that was
0: um yeah now, I don't think I don't think that would stop anybody. I think that like people in corpse paint would be lining up like Rick and Morty fans oh, yeah, at I McDonald's. Yeah. Um yeah, honestly me too. <laughs>
1: but <laughs> there would I think either. you would
0: I'd be, be mad yeah. about it. You would you would always have this like silent recognition that like oh I've I've, I've slightly ruined this for myself.
1: There is, uh, oh, I'm just looking at discogs now, there is some for sale for as little as $141. Uh, there, Honestly, that's not bad. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, these are CDs. Oh, there's even a cassette. Wow, that's got to be fake. Um, I, oh, yeah, you, you can yeah, get, I, um, oh no, you can get cassettes as little as uh, 169 euros. Um, and yeah, wow. So you can you can put on your your Sony Walkman, uh, roll the blade down the boardwalk while listening to Dead, as Dreams. I'll be a I, I
0: have yeah. I have this running joke with my partner <coughs> that I you know when the, when the book sells like ten million copies, like it's a Stephen King book or something. <laughs> so fingers crossed that the book will sell ten million copies, so I can actually buy a cassette of Deadest Dreams. That would that would make my day.
1: Yeah, I mean, with with uh, publishing royalties being what they are nowadays, you probably would need ten million copies to be able to afford one hundred sixty nine euros. Uh, That's true. Not not saying that our good friends at Repeater are skinflints because they're 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 good folks, but um, let's let's talk about that side of things actually, not the money side sure. of things, but um, like, how did this project start, and how did it come to be at Repeater? <laughs> um it is a funny story
0: and like because i've told it to so many people it's kind of just become normal to me um but they effectively just asked me to write a book or like, i should say repeater asked me to write a book um on black metal and socialism and yada yada um on twitter in my replies <laughs> so
1: wow uh, um, oh what am yeah. i chop liver like seriously i could have done that I'm. I'm glad you did. I'm not jealous. I am jealous, but um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So sorry, carry on. Sorry. What um, what happened was like
0: uh, the story that I've been told is that Tariq Goddard, who is you like the main kind of like the main spokesperson for Repeater publicly, um, author of High John the Conqueror* for Repeater, former guest of this fine
1: establishment, mm-hmm. um, nice nice guy, guy with an amazing voice. He has such a nice voice. Yes. I, but, um... I did not expect his voice to sound like that in
0: the slightest. <laughs> um yeah, so he he found as as far as I've heard, he found an essay that I'd written for for free from my friend's website on the album uh Kentucky by the band Penopticon. Mm, yeah, he, he mentioned that as like one of albums
1: he's big into.
0: Yeah, it's the album's fantastic. Like I still, this is one of those ones,
1: probably up there with Dead's Dreams. Has been like this like pinnacle, like pivotal moment in American black metal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like, and uh, like socialist black metal or anarchist black metal or whatever you'd Hmm. call it. Um, And so I, I wrote this essay when I was like 23 my second year of uni because I was like an idiot made absolutely no splash whatsoever no impressions you know it just kind of got put into the internet ether um and for, for, for any reason uh in 2021 Tariq Goddard had somehow found that essay and sent uh you know Carl Neville from Repeater out to like try to find me more or less because i had zero i had zero internet presence at all like i had about 10 followers on twitter when they reached out to me um so yeah that's really it like if if, being completely honest like there was a second where they contacted me well i thought i was in the most like elaborate scam (laughs) that has ever existed because it made no Mm -hmm. sense um (laughs) Because you know they just said, "Oh, you know, we'd like to work with you on something." Oh, okay, sure. Like I don't really know what that means, but yeah, it didn't really hit me until quite a fair way down the line. They're like, "Oh, I think they actually want me to write
1: something for." Me. Um, and so was the thing. Yeah, was think... the was the thing you were going to write always always this like a? Because I uh, pretty the other much. way. I was thinking the other way you could have gone with a project like this is a history of black metal because there's been. Kind of two, kind of pivotal, like big histories of black metal. There's Lords of Chaos and uh, Black Metal: The Birth of a Cult. Um, I think you mentioned you mentioned both of them. I think uh, yeah, neither neither are great. Uh, Lords of Chaos is especially not great because its writer is like a literal Nazi. Um, I agree. And you, well, two two write, one writers. One writer is a literal Nazi. The other one like an Odinist. Just, just Nazi, Which, which is pushing and, it, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, um, Michael um for the folks at home, the, the writer of Lords of Chaos, Michael Moynihan, um I think that's how you pronounce his name, he also yes. released the book uh, Siege, which is like a yes. neo Nazi how to fight guerrilla warfare manual. And it's been like influential on people like Atomwaffen Waffen and people like that. Um who that also really, like, mental adjacent yeah
0: that was insane when i discovered that i think i discovered that about six months into writing the book like casually <laughs> uh just scrolling through like clicking different wikipedia links and stuff and i mm. i found that like my mind was blown because i've read a little bit of siege um not because i had a nazi phase but because i was genuinely doing research prior to the book about like 4chan and meme culture and nazism and all that stuff mm. um yeah, I'm like you said, I'm not particularly fond of either of those books. Like, I've read them because it's like basic primary research kind of stuff. It is. Yeah, I think that,
1: that's, that's they're damn good. Shame,
0: isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a shame that unfortunately it's pretty much a necessity that you read them if you want to get into this stuff. Um, They're, they're really good for primary resources. Like, if you want a lot of like quotes from bands or discussions of what was happening at the time and that sort of thing um but i think the actual perspectives of the people like the 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 perspectives of what of black metal from the people writing the books leaves a lot to be desired
1: Hmm. um yeah i know
0: on. sorry oh I, i was gonna say i i was never really interested in writing like a history of black metal because i don't really think there was one like i don't i'm sure you could write like a more traditional marxist uh exploration of like the kind of the the class dynamics of like social democracy in scandinavia in the mid-90s or the mid-80s or whatever um but i'm not really equipped to write that and i'm not really that interested in reading that book (laughs) uh whereas at the time. I I think I think reading the book makes this fairly clear but I was reading a lot of like Nietzsche and Deleuze and Guattari and Marx and that sort of thing. And so I was I was fairly inspired by like A Thousand Plateaus and like the way it's sort of its chapters are interconnected but they're each kind of very obviously doing their own thing and making points that are separate yet sort of interrelate if you want to look at it that way Hmm. yeah yeah. but also it's like I said before it was kind of a product of uh, trying to make trying to specifically draw out like what makes black metal unique because when repeater reached out to me initially they said oh you know you could write about extreme metal like not even black metal specifically And I kind of had to like sheepishly respond, like, I don't really listen to that much, you know, like sludge metal or death metal or that sort of thing. Um, So from the start, I knew like it had to be a book about black metal and it couldn't be a book about the history of black metal. But that was really that was really the only thing that followed the book from
1: beginning to the end. Hmm. Yeah. No, I think I think it was the right uh, right way to go on that one. Um because like you said, the, the history of black matter is so disconnected. Um it's three entirely separate scenes and separate times who only really like just listen to each other to each other and kind of riff off each other in a way, but in a in very profound ways are uh, utterly different. Um yeah. Like, I think there would be some value in having a, a very straightforward, here's what happened, and here's people talking about it history that isn't like, that isn't Lords of Chaos or Birth of a Cult, just because, you know, I don't want to give money to the arch sus lords at Feral House anymore. But yeah. um, that, that would be the only argument for making a, a proper history of black metal at this point. Um. Just, um, something you mentioned back there because it's come up a lot on this show uh, kind of coincidentally um is uh, Nietzsche and the left mm. um we covered a book by uh, Jonas uh, Saker called yes. um which I also came out on repeater by stunning coincidence um about uh, Nietzsche and and socialism and we're going to be doing a book uh book well, Anthology, a collection oh, by uh, Matt, Matt, Matt McManus, about um, Nietzsche as kind of a um, an aristocratic radical, and the Nietzsche is probably the philosopher who comes up the most in connection to black metal. Um, yeah, he usually the like fifteen-year-old boy um, interpretation of Nietzsche, which. Matt McManus' collection would argue it's not entirely wrong. In fact, it might not even be radical enough. Um, so, how do you see Nietzsche fitting into black metal as a whole? And is it a Nietzschean genre? Is, it, it, does it really take uh, influence from him? Um, I, I think so,
0: in one way or another. Like, I think I. I I think in both its reactionary and kind of revolutionary like ideas, I, I think they're kind of both inspired by Nietzsche in a lot of ways. Like you, you could say NSBM or National Socialist Black Metal is kind of obsessed with like this very vulgar idea of the Ubermensch as you know, a man, specifically a man of tradition with traditional values. Um and who, you know, lives in what, you know, 15-year-old 4chan lurkers consider to be a traditional lifestyle. Um, whereas I think it, it's also, you could also call it Nietzschean and it's more revolutionary tendencies um, with this idea of like constant self overcoming, which is something that I draw on quite a bit. Like I draw on uh, Spoke Zarathustra towards the end of the chapter on distortion is this idea that distortion is constantly seeking new avenues and new territories, and that's something that I draw on quite a bit. Hmm. Um, and on like the whole, like the kind of interminable debate about <laughs> about whether socialists should appreciate or read or cite Nietzsche. Um, I don't. I, I think pretty much every socialist who I've talked to about this. Has said, yeah, okay, well, like we know, like we know Re- Nietzsche in his personal politics was pretty, was not the most like woke or progressive guy. Like his actual views are pretty reprehensible, um, but it's important to like look at his ideas and do something with them. Like you know, you, use his use his views or his methods for. Revolutionary thought, more or less, hmm. which is something that like Deleuze did, which is something that Foucault did, um which is something that like Jonas Chaker in his book does, which I really appreciated, um and that's kind of how I tried to approach how I use black metal at the same yeah. time, because like like I said, I try not to draw on musicians' personal politics too much, um even though you have to acknowledge them. Um, but at the same time, I try to see how you can use black metals views or its conventions against the more kind of fascist undercurrent that has been with the genre since its beginning. Like hmm. the title of my book is a paraphrase of like a death spell Omega lyric and a lyric that was initially sung by Miko Asper, who is a Nazi um who's got a I side project. A file, wasn't he?
1: oh i was gonna weird. say i
0: i i've heard that i honestly don't know about that so i don't want to say because i'm not 100 sure but i know that his side project with the incomprehensible name has a lot of lyrics about like you know quote unquote mm. like fetishes and stuff so it's a lot of like it's pedophilia adjacent um yeah it's that kind of
1: like um um kind of like noise music, pure white house kind of uh, edgy pedophilia kind of thing, which is generally just being a nonce at the end of the day. Yeah,
0: And like that, that is kind of a trend in a lot of noise music as well, as far as I understand it. There's this, like, you want to push, like, taboos and extremes to the point where you're more or less endorsing, like sexual violence or nazism or something of that nature um i know mika asper in his like personal life has funded you know right-wing movements in finland um the same way that you know the uh alexi oh, what's his name the guy from uh moloch or malek or maleth or the ukrainian band with the two eights in it that's very obviously a nazi band um oh, uh, yeah. he has like financially and yeah, yeah. And he's he's financially supported um what's it called? Like Asgards Rye, which is a Nazi black metal festival. Mm. And the what's it called? The Azov Battalion or the Azov Division or whatever they happen to yeah, call themselves. Azov now. Battalion. Yeah. yeah. Um <coughs> yeah. So like returning to Nietzsche, I think, yeah, like you have to kind of acknowledge that Nietzsche wrote a lot of very bad stuff about like women And about jewish people and you know was very critical of modernity in a way that suggested that he would have found himself much more comfortable in like a slave society Hmm. um but i think nonetheless you can you can use his beliefs for more productive ends for socialist thought in my opinion Hmm.
1: yeah it's something that's come up on this show quite a lot how and it's not like this is a purely theoretical thing Either, because as you said, like Deleuze, Foucault, lots of people have used Nietzsche in a productive way, and lots of people are using black metal in a really amazing productive way. In one of the yeah. bands you you bring up, who I think it's probably the the most Nietzschean band of all at the moment, Liturgy. Um, yes, <laughs> who for um, well, I wouldn't call it Christian or even religious. It's um, what um, Hunter. Ravenna Hunter Hendrix uh, hunt, um, is yeah. doing is like utterly beyond anything in in like five different genres at the moment. It's um, just incredible. Uh, the new album is just staggering. I, I was yeah, absolutely. one of the many people who would kind of dismissed Liturgy for the, probably the first two albums. Um, but yeah, this like turnaround in the last. F- a few years has been just like mind-blowing and it's precisely the kind of Nietzschean um, rejection of everything that's come before transvaluation of all values it's mm. the Delusian uh, creating difference and uh, <clears throat> making these kind of rhizomatic connections between different genres instead of um, sticking to a pure um, this is black metal so it must sound like this and this and this um, yeah, has been just like just an absolute vindication of uh, how black metal can be can form the basis of something really incredible and um, yeah, and has socialist absolutely. politics as well it's, yeah. Um,
0: yeah I think um, like the, have you read the, the transcendental black metal manifesto? Like I have, the, in fact the Ravenna, oh, yes. Yeah um, mm-hmm. That draws on the will to power like pretty explicitly and you can definitely you do, you get that impression even if you do read those or even if you do listen to those earlier albums um and she was criticized pretty heavily like back when it came out because people said oh you know she's like over over intellectualizing black metal um while at the same time like drawing on these references that black metal itself draws a lot on but in this like very vulgar teenage boy reading by himself kind of way
1: yeah it, it was um it was a, a kind of against that like elitist Nietzschean spirit of black metal to even have the idea of oh it's overly intellectual it should be dumbed down it should be less smart that's that's yeah. not elitist like something like what uh what she's doing right now is infinitely more elitist than some you know random band releasing a hundred crappy cassettes in finland somewhere <laughs> it's, um, yeah be, being able to like just, like blow away um people who are into contemporary classical music is uh yeah that's that's elitism right there it's not just making less cassettes
0: mm. No, absolutely
1: yeah um so <clears throat> We're running up to time so um we're gonna cap off the episode with probably again one of these like absolute classic albums that was really um it was really unfortunate that they didn't make any more but then i can also see that um the last ultra plagues album teeth glory and injury it was kind of like a definitive statement you can't really say anything else after that unless you go in completely different directions. So how, how did you come across Ultra Black play- Plays and what do they they mean for you in and this uh, red-black metal project?
0: Um, I, I liked them not so much from the beginning because I think their first album, like uh, White Tomb, if I remember correctly, that actually came out before I started listening to Black Metal. Um, but their second album, I liked it upon listening, like, as a fit in very much with that kind of Wolves in the Throne Room, Skagos, Alcest, mm, yeah. Um, the more Cascadian black metal that I was listening to. And when this third album came out, people fucking hated it. <laughs> it was, it like, I I remember specifically being around when the first. Uh, when the first kind of promotional stuff came out and that first music video for the single God Alone, um, Mm. which isn't the song that I picked, um, but the song God Alone, which is like, the music video is these like, uh, you know, is this interpretive dance thing while the music plays. And it's like nothing like I'd ever listened to before and Mm. nothing like Alter of Plagues had ever come out with before. Metal, um, or
1: any black metal like a black metal band video is supposed to be like uh have you seen satyricons uh, fuel for hatred video it's it's I haven't, incredibly no. it, uh trying to watch the uncensored version it's the silliest campiest thing you'll ever see it's just <laughs> utterly um without any um self-awareness at all and it's even better for it but yeah, that, that video was like a black metal video that wasn't embarrassing and crap, and people hated it for I mean, it. Yeah, absolutely. Like people,
0: I mean, and this was also the peak of like the kind of anti-hipster thing, um, which hit black metal with stuff like, uh, you know, Sunbather and Liturgy's first two albums that had already been released. Um, but this album, like it it doesn't sound, I should say the album's name is Teethed Glory and Injury um It it doesn't sound anything like those other ones, but they all kind of got lumped together in this very unfortunate amalgam of like hipster black metal. That they don't really sound alike in any way. They're just you know people just kind of gave them this derogatory tone because it's like oh we'll we'll do something that doesn't sound like Dark Throne or like Wolves in the Throne Room. um And usually, like when black metal should embrace that kind of thing, they got ragged on pretty relentlessly for it. Um, so I, I kind of chose this not so much because it fits in with the book. Like I do, I do refer to the album in the book and I wrote a thing about the album pretty recently for the Astral Noise website because it's 10 year anniversary is coming up really soon. Um, but I I included it here because I think it's a good example of how far black metal can go and remain pretty distinctly black metal, like it's got touches of like grindcore and industrial and noise music and electronics and, and post metal and all this stuff. Um, But I think it's nonetheless, the band took themselves as far as they can go. And I don't think it's a big coincidence that they broke up like immediately after this album came out (laughs) because it was like, uh, you know, because they had nothing left to do, right? And all three members have gone on to do completely different things. Um, uh, Sorry to rehash that, the, the article I wrote for Astral Noise a bit too much, but that's more or less why I included it here.
1: Gareth, are you still there? Oh yeah, sorry. I, I was coughing, I turned my microphone off. Sorry about that. Um no, that's okay. But yeah, as I as I said, um it was absolutely perfect pick. It was a um this album that just kind of like the other ones we talked yep. to, um Deadest Dreams, uh Kentucky, even though they were a presence in like the larger black metal scene for a while before, it just totally knocked everyone for six and it's it still sounds so much more progressive than so much stuff that's coming out nowadays and yeah. nothing else has come out that sounds anything like it um yeah it, it's one is absolutely singular very Nietzschean, very delusian things that's just like come out of nowhere and changed everything um so yeah we'll, we will play that but where can people find you and and the book um you can find me on
0: twitter if you want to i my, at underscore young Euronymous. um oh sorry just at young Euronymous. um i'm mostly about Excellent. black metal and the annoying shit that i'm reading so you know if you're into that Same. Same um and the book yeah the book is called tonight it's a world we bury black metal red politics you can find it wherever books are sold more or less google the name you'll find a place to get it online that's hopefully cool and union run um or you just go into a physical bookshop because frankly they probably need it
1: <laughs> oh yeah um, definitely yeah uh, well, yeah so even a library, even a library. You,
0: you still get paid for, yes get paid for that for that do I? Okay, well, I hope so. Shit, I didn't even know that. I should read my contract. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, folks at home, it's an excellent book. Um, I, I know, like, there's going to be a lot of people who, who listen to this show who are like, yeah, I already know about black metal and red politics. I, that, I That's all I ever think about. But this is a genuinely good book. Um, there's this line in orwell's 1984 about how the best books tell us what we already know and Mm. i think this very much applies to this book like i i know (laughs) the vast majority of the bands i know all the theorists i i even know some of the connections here but it's still a really amazing book to 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 read just thank you thank uh, you very much so yeah it's um Go out and buy it. In fact, buy it, just buy everything Repeater does. You, you won't actually go wrong with that. They never put out bad books. Like, literally, don't. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's also amazing to know that they just, like, find people and make them write books for them. That's that's really cool <laughs> with them. Who else does that? Um, so we're going to be back fairly soon um, with the Nietzsche book we were talking about. Uh, we're going to finally, after a, at least a year talk about a book called uh, The DeLoread. It's so good, folks. Oh, my God. Uh, Bill, read this book. It's incredible. Um, Can you give me, like, an elevator pitch about what it's... A, sorry to, like, derail okay, okay. the, uh, the actor too much, but... Okay, it, it's a post-apocalyptic book. That n- it's nothing like any other post-apocalyptic book you ever, ever done. It's a teeth, glory, and injury of post-apocalyptic books, basically. It's um, about oh, a incest... That. Uh, it's about incestuous family um, living after the apocalypse, um, and one one of them members of the family, Dolores, is uh, very heavily birth has got a lot of birth defects and is um, nonverbal and can barely move, and she's uh, like put out in the forest for another group of post-apocalyptic survivors who may or may not exist. To uh, to marry in order to join their tribes, one of which again may not exist. Uh, but it's also about a TV show called um, Let's uh, call Aquinas, which is about Thomas Aquinas solving mysteries. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's again, it's like nothing you've ever read. It's beautifully written. It's written like Faulkner quality prose throughout amazing it's really amazing it came out last this time last year it's, it, it's again much like the the music we've been discussing it was really divisive you find as many people saying it was pure garbage uh as you will find people saying it's incredible um and our line is it's incredible and we're going to talk about it pretty soon um we also that got another great. uh got another repeater book uh, Red Enlightenment uh, that's coming up uh, fairly shortly uh, we'll do the new um, I've got a name do, new book by uh, Eliza Clark um, it's got a new book called Penance Boy Parts was amazing so we'll do that one and we'll play lots of music and here is some of that music it is Ultra Ultra Plagues <laughs>